0: All right, Josh. What uh, what am I sitting on right now? I'm crisscross applesauce. It's a little meditation pad. We're in Josh Newberg's uh, Zen room. This is Brendan Sennon with the Knowles Twenty Four Seven podcast with Josh Newberg, and yes, Josh has a Zen room. It's actually very nice. That's one of the least surprising things about Josh's house. Uh, the most surprising is that it's organized. That he has plants that he takes care of, and like they live. And I'm not talking about like pot plants either. Like just real like annuals. <laughs> It's like you're a grown up.
1: That I am. I don't know why you guys sleep on me. Everybody thinks that I'm some that I'm a wreck. But you,
0: you don't you don't know why people think that. I have no idea why it's people. A lack think of, that. lack uh, of 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 self awareness there. Well, I'm so just,
1: I'm just glad that I could be on the podcast and um, I'm not gonna do what everybody thinks I'm gonna do and act like I don't want to be here.
0: I, I made him put his burrito away <laughs> before we started. No, I just before, haven't eaten.
1: <laughs> that's good. So. We're gonna have a low
0: a low blood sugar and cranky Josh. So. Uh, I'm here in St. Pete. I've been here all week covering uh, FSU practice down at at Bradenton. IMG. Josh has been there with me, and we've been been tag teaming. It's been it. fun.
1: I feel like a real live reporter. You are. You're like taking I'm like going video. To yeah, and stuff. You're Asking questions. You're in it. Do you wish, miss it? Yeah, no. I would no. love. I would actually like to do this more. <laughs> don't, don't believe it. <laughs> so.
0: We're going to do a pretty quick podcast, maybe 30 minutes. We we'll yeah. want to get in, get out, because while there was some good information this week, uh, also the access, uh, it was talking limited. talking to players was great. I'm not mm-hmm. complaining about the access. It's way better than we've ever had. But, yeah, the actual access to seeing what's happening on the field, limited. A couple of days we only had four periods, which equates to, like, 15, 20 minutes. So as far as, like, takeaways, it's going to be limited in, in that sense. But I, I do think it's going to be interesting to get Josh's uh, opinion here, as someone who doesn't see the day to day how you cover the beat more so he's looking at big picture recruiting uh, getting inside information that kind of stuff remotely now he's now he's here and was kind of uh, feet to the ground so Josh your general thoughts on how it operated what you saw the vibe you got at practice the last four days while they were in, at IMG
1: Yeah it was live that that's for sure <laughs> um, you know we were standing would you was it really live I it's <laughs> not genuine. It, no, I mean we were, you know, we were a couple hundred yards from the field, and we could hear all the music being played, and we could hear the clapping, and you know, at times you could hear some of the, some of the guys yelling during stretch before we were allowed onto the field. Um, it was it was everything that I had expected to see. <laughs> based on what you know, we've heard this off season as far as these guys coming together and and really being brothers, I thought that. Just the way that they move from drill to drill, like the simplicity of like moving from drill to drill, you didn't have guys dragging. And this is where the music comes into play. When you have guys going from drill to drill in a slight jog, they're not really transferring that energy from one drill to the next. When you have the whole team like dancing to the next drill... They're bringing the energy. They're bringing enthusiasm to it. Um, you don't. We've been out there. We don't see guys dancing. You're, during you're pissing off
0: a lot of rural Florida Gators fans that have stumbled onto this this podcast. Uh, yeah, right we now. call
1: actually. Um, I think uh, on Twitter now we call the racists traditionalists.
0: <laughs> well, this seems like we're, we're, we're going. We're going more down to big three roll up. That's uh, the new
1: code word for for the people that have you know the the racists that have issues with rap music being played at. at, at at the practice, but um, you don't see you know once they're once they're coaching, and once they're they're engaged, they're listening. Spent a lot of time today watching Greg Fry in the offensive line. Um, probably more time than I had spent at any one position group throughout the four days. And the thing that I watched about Greg, and despite the music being played, he's out there coaching like he's he's engaging these guys. Um, yeah,
0: people think that there's. That it's slow, like that, that right? It, that it's slow in terms of teaching, and that they're just getting bogged down by music. Wait, you're about to start snapping your fingers there, like, yeah. Like, it is upbeat, and there's a ton of information being dispersed at once. Now, it's in bite sized, small segments, but like, coaches are coaching. I don't understand the people that think that they're not coaching. That's that's re-
1: it's That's a so, stupid it's, assumption. It's so overblown, yeah. this whole thing about the, the the music and stuff. It's so overblown. It couldn't be more overblown. But getting back to, to Greg Fry, uh, one of the things that and I'm not gonna even compare him to Rick Trickett, because you can't compare anybody to Rick Trickett. God, dang, dang. But Son one of the of things <laughs> that impressed me was like while the drills were going on, he was coaching. But also he was talking to the guys that were waiting in line to go do the drills and asking them, like, hey, what did you see wrong there? What, what, what was that? And the guys were responding. They were mm-hmm. paying attention. They weren't just standing there with their hands on their hips and, you know, kicking dirt. They were engaged to what was going on. Um, you watched Greg Fry. Um, yeah, he was stern, and, and at moments he was cursing and, and doing some of those things, but he was teaching, and he was talking. Um, In a conversational tone Despite the music being played He was just talking to these guys And it was almost like I don't know when Rick was there It was like whipping the horse You know Whereas, it was like an
0: assembly line of one after another, just waiting his turn to you like you know when cows right. in those videos when the cows are getting slaughtered and they're in, and they're in line and they yeah. shit take the air tubes and yeah, this graphic Sorry, that's, that's sorry kind of what it was like?
1: It was like <laughs> up next. All right, what? And uh, Were you are just whipping him with a hat right then. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was cool. Um, you can't. I don't. I don't know how much to make out of it because we haven't seen the results yet. Yeah, sure. And that's my take. Uh, I know you wanted to get to it. Like, what do I think about the music and all this? I don't know. (laughs) Because all that matters is wins. Like, yeah. yeah, if they're having fun and they're losing, this... Then what does this matter?
0: It becomes this then what we're talking about today, in mm-hmm. a year from now becomes the excuse. You know, right. if they go if they stumble to six and six or something, we'll say, oh, they're not disciplined. And that's what you're seeing is kind of interesting at Texas A&M, place where they were more like lively and upbeat. Jimbo Fisher goes in there, and he's he's making it very more you know, rigid. And what Jimbo does, and and people over there, the people covering that team, like professional beat writers that aren't like applying or approaching it with bias, are saying. This is what this, this program needed, was someone to whip them in his the shape.
1: But it's always like that.
0: And, and then we're on the other side. Yeah. So, yeah, perspective. It's always,
1: culture f- change is always, you know, you always have a change. Um, I like to look back at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I'm a Bucs fan. So, Sorry. growing up, I was a Tony, you know, Tony Dungy was in, when I was a teenager, he was the head coach. Tony Dungy was a players' coach, very soft-spoken. What did they do? They hired John Gruden, the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. John Gruden wins a Super Bowl, but then things go sour. So what do they do? They hire the exact opposite. They hire a players' coach. They hire Raheem Morris. Raheem Morris couldn't gain control of the team. So what do they do? They hire Greg Schiano. Mm-hmm. Greg Schiano is a, you know, a, is a, disciplinarian type. What do they do? They hire Dirk Cutter, who's who's a former OC. So it's always going to, whenever you have coaching change, you're always going to go opposite. Mm-hmm. And it's just sometimes it's, it's change for the sake of change. Yeah. And in this case, Florida State's changing from uh, authoritarian and Jimbo Fisher to this new style of um, Willie Taggart. Mm-hmm. Will it work? I don't know. I think there's multiple, like Jimbo proved that his method works. Yeah. We've seen that. Uh, Willie Taggart has turned all these programs, every stop he's been at, he's taken programs that have had issues and turned them around before leaving, so you assume that it's going to work here, but we don't know that. Um, the biggest takeaway that I get is that these guys are still working, that there is communication, that the players are listening, and the players are responding. If that's all good so far, mm-hmm. does it result in wins? We'll see.
0: Oh. You touched on something, Josh, that that I think Chris and I have talked about like in passing before, but maybe a good platform right now to get into it. And this is with someone who has a lot of knowledge of coaching hires and how stuff works. and, And you're plugged in. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna butter you up a little bit here. I'm here for it. You're plugged in when you mentioned Jimbo Fisher and you you replace him with a guy like Willie Taggart, I've heard before you never, and this is, applies to like relationships in general, but never go the opposite of your ex. Like You always want someone that's going to... You don't want to go with a stark contrast just because it works, or doesn't work one way. That doesn't mean you want the pendulum to swing all the way the other. Mm-hmm. That can create other issues if you're doing extremes. You want something kind of in the middle. And Jimbo, at the end, was becoming extreme and stubborn and, and not just rigid in, in the sense of being the very... Uh, very type A type of coach, um, but just not changing outside of his kind of, I don't want to say angry, <laughs> because he was angry at the end.
1: Yeah, at the end he was. He,
0: he, was, he was, but it wasn't always that way, And but he became worse. So FSU's gone with someone that appears more laid back. Is I guess what I'm going to ask you, Josh, is Willie the opposite of Jimbo Fisher, or are there parallels between them? There's certainly different styles. I think that's clear, but is this the quote-unquote opposite is this a complete pendulum change? I don't think he's
1: a complete opposite mm-hmm. um, he, you know and, and you you compare you compare Jimbo at the end of his tenure yeah he's probably the complete opposite but Jimbo in the beginning of his tenure was not that at all we we, we tend to forget that fans and media but especially fans were demanding a culture change mm-hmm. maybe we weren't using the word culture back in 2010 but they were demanding a culture change from Bowden and a lot of people, tend to romanticize the end of the bowden era and just as they'll romanticize in in time jimbo fisher's era at ford state and it'll all be roses but remember there was significant push for jimbo to turn things around meaning go opposite of bobby bowden and, and be structured and be structured yeah. and be um saving. focused and and all that and yeah, be saving so um in the beginning That was what was asked of Jimbo, and that was what was needed of the program. Um, Willie's just doing that now. This is the first step for Willie Taggart. We'll see how things develop with Willie and and how his personality changes as time goes on and as this team wins and loses ballgames. So um, I think Jimbo did what he needed to do in order to get this team to win a national championship, Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: things fell apart a little bit.
0: Well, you say changes, and as it applies to Willie, I think that's one thing up to this point in his career. And again, Willie, what 41, 42? He's around the same age yeah. Jimbo was when he took over at Florida State. And you look at, it, and I think using history as context here, one thing that Bobby Bowden did poorly at the end was change when he needed to. One thing that Jimbo did poorly at the end of his tenure was change when he needed to. To date, Willie Tiger has shown the ability to change and to adapt. Whether that's overhaul an entire scheme to bring different coaches with him to different places and always kind of, you know, tinkering his staff to fit what it needs uh, at that specific school uh, to showing that he doesn't have, uh, you know, he's willing to go and and get a Jim Levitt like a former Mario Cristobal at different schools. He's willing to put his ego aside. He's willing to change. To that, you know, to this point, I think that's probably the the most notable difference in the two. Uh, The stuff that's happening at practice and being looser, I think that's noteworthy. I think it just gets blown out of proportion. To an extent, it's a
1: vocal minority on Twitter. Yeah, that, that makes a big deal out of it, and then everybody reacts to it. I really don't think that many FSU fans, especially the casual FSU fan,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Karen is the furthest thing from a casual FSU. Don't fan.
0: don't don't. don't throw. I've been clear of Karen for a while, and you're uh, bringing her into my my orb, Aggie Karen. Well. While I'm here in the Zen room, to bring up Karen Keylar. It's um, blasphemous.
1: But, yeah, you know, it, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah. So, you know, we, this is all fun and games for Willie and, and FSU until they lose a game. And not, we'll see what happens.
0: Not to belabor it last, last thing here. Like, Willie coaches, he yells at people I saw mm-hmm. him. And well, this will segue into our next topic, which is going to be the huge breaking news that Trey Lawson is no longer with the program. Yeah. But, but, you know, so the day that happened... That was the second day of preseason camp, and Willie was trying to get his offense to go fast in a team drill. That was open to the media; we got to see all of it. Uh, and Willie was getting downright like pissed at his linemen because they were getting they were stopping John with defensive linemen, and mm-hmm. they're pushing and back and forth. And it's the second day of camp; everyone's getting hot and and you know, just just cranky, and and so people are getting fed up with each other. But Willie's trying to implement like, hey, we got to go, yeah, we need the tempo here going. You can't have time to. Getting fights with other teams because you got to capitalize if you're moving the ball. If you get a first down, and that, that's the whole point of running tempo. Uh, so Willie's getting mad at that and you know taking guys and, and and you know bringing them over to the front of the line and, and like physically taking them like come on let's go let's go mm-hmm. and he's running with them. Uh, today we anyways that story ends with <laughs> Trey Lawson punching Juwan Williams in the in the head and you know Willie wasn't having that and he had you to know, basically get out of here. But like when Willie yelled like everyone stops and listens. So the idea that he's not Running a a, a tight yeah, program, I feel like is is yeah. if people just looking at snapshots and and not knowing the full context of what's right. going on. Um, but yeah, t- today. Willie didn't like what was happening over on the offensive side of the ball. They were running fade patterns. The quarterbacks weren't hurting it. The wide receivers weren't catching it. Apparently like he went and picked up the football and threw it himself a couple of times. Like, no, that's how you do it. Like, like, Willie's going to get into the, into the action. I think that's a productive thing. He has the respect of players right now. That's what's important. So I think, I think we do see the team starting to kind of take on his personality. Do you, do you agree with that? Like they're starting to be a little bit more laid back? You're seeing that energy? No, I think more importantly, I think Willie's
1: allowing them to take on their own personality. Interesting. I think he gives them kind of the free will. He, he The free Willie. What he, <laughs> what he's said to me a couple times is, these players get so much flack for everything that they do. Um, he wants them to be people and to be themselves despite the pressures from you know Twitter, from the media, from everybody on the outside. So I think the one thing that he makes clear to the players is I'm going to cut you some slack and let you be free as long as you put this work in on the field. Mm-hmm. As long as you are doing your film study, your rehab, your academics, your practice, as long as those things are being taken care of, y'all can have black jerseys against Virginia Tech, or you guys can have music at at practice and you guys can can cut it up after practice but everything between the lines needs to be taken serious and Willie sets that tone at practice all
0: right and and with that in mind uh the news of today here on on Thursday as we're recording the podcast it's Thursday right it's all all day. day all right uh Trey Lawson no longer with the program Willie Taggart spoken that briefly earlier today uh this isn't huge news because Trey Lawson was not going to be a big factor this year. Uh, Still very much so a project player who had kind of shed weight uh, and was, we were under the assumption starting to kind of rebuild and add bulk, but that just didn't happen this offseason. Physically he didn't look a whole lot different than he had in the spring um but but someone who was going to be the third defensive end or sorry third string defensive end behind you know at least four others uh, maybe even jumped on the depth chart by Xavier Peters and Dennis Briggs yeah within the first week mm-hmm. or two of the season wasn't going to be a huge factor but that was someone who uh, we've heard he you know, was struggling academically uh, and then gets in a fight with the teammate. I'm not sure the fight with the teammate ended up being the final straw or whether it was a big no, deal. No, of course
1: it's a, it's a combination of everything.
0: But he didn't come back after that. Right. That was the last time we right. saw him. It, oh, but, oh, but, the fi- yeah, yeah, it could have been the final but, straw, yeah. Yeah, but in terms right. of, yeah, it is, like you said, uh, you take care of your business and I think, Willie it's going to give you a pretty free reign to mm-hmm. act how you want to act. But if you don't take care of it and you're messing up in multiple areas, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of there's there's consequences, which I think is a good thing for the program in the long run. Yeah, term.
1: and I know there's a lot of people, you know, on the site, not maybe not a lot, but there's people freaking out or, or, or seeing it as a loss. But like, this is just college football. There's a reason why they hang they they can have eighty five players, whereas the NFL has fifty three or fifty five or whatever it is. Um, this happens. Guys come and go. Guys buried on the depth chart. We ha, ha, we saw two quarterbacks at LSU transfer in the last 24 hours.
0: Which is pretty cool.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Mm-hmm. So you, I just remember when Trey Lawson signed with Florida State. He was a project all the way. Um, he came in at about 6'6", 240, 250, somewhere in that range. Um, we didn't know what he was going to be. Maybe he was going to be a defensive end. Maybe he was going to be an offensive tackle. We thought, hey, maybe he could gain another 40 pounds and become a, a, a tackle prospect. He ended up losing the weight. He, he never really had a spot. He was a Brad Lulling special. special. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a guy that Brad knew he could go into South Carolina and get if needed. And um, without going down the Brad Lolling rabbit hole, um, he, was, he was basically, that was one of his guys. So now that Brad's gone, he doesn't have him here to have his back or, or whatever. And um, culture's changing. See, so sometimes, sometimes guys kind of get left behind in that, and I think Lawson's an example of that. So I don't, I don't know how much more time we need to spend on him. Freeze up a scholarship. Yeah. Twenty so twenty two now. Is well, I don't know. I you know. When, we should probably when, go and do a uh, when we, do a look at it when we talk to our sources. Right, it it, it comes down. They were they were projecting fourteen spots mm-hmm. before attrition, so this doesn't necessarily... And then and then they were also factoring in maybe a couple guys leaving early. So, yeah. It definitely frees one up, but they were at 14 available scholarships, so they anticipated this to come up with the 21.
0: Oh, so that was so saying that a guy or two could be Yeah, I mean, out yeah and I'm not
1: saying that this definitely won't, but it we'll just see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. This is part of the attrition that we expected, not to say that we expected Trey Lawson, <laughs> but just statistically speaking in college football, there's always going to be attrition on every team. So, yeah, uh, this kind of gets it out of the way early. All right, so
0: we'll we'll go down the rest of the podcast. We're already at twenty minutes, so two more things that we want to talk about: final thoughts on what we saw this week, and then just kind of spin it ahead to to what the coverage is going to look like next week. And then uh, I'm not going to do a what the hell final Jimbo thing, but I do want Josh to share a little bit of of his. Experience. I got a story to tell. He's got a story or two, and that'll kind of wrap up. Hopefully, our Jimbo Fisher talk forever on this podcast. Like
1: no, not forever.
0: For a while, if knee had his way, forever. What? Uh, If some of our listeners have their way forever, if others have their way, like, we'd be doing it every single week. So we try to... to, I think there's a site you can go
1: to to get Jimbo Talk every single week. (laughs) I think (laughs) there's a website out there for that.
0: Mm, All right. What I thought this week, and I kind of put pen to paper or fingers to to keyboard uh, today while at lunch. Tiredly, I'm I'm kind of uh, emotionally drained from just driving around back and forth. St. Pete isn't as close to Bradenton as I thought it was, Josh. 45 minutes. Eh, not when you drive like I do. good an hour and 10 <laughs> minutes <laughs> each way there and back. But anyway, it's been a long week, but but I think this week as far as uh, what we saw on the field, again with, with limited context, um, reinforcement of guys that we kind of saw coming, standing out the first week of, of camp. Specifically, I want to talk about a few of the freshmen. Uh, Kayshaun Helton is a name that just keeps popping up. I can't believe he's the lowest rated guy in the class man you know rankings be damned like it sounds like he's a good fit they have him you know as one of the three or four guys taking punt returns one of the three or four guys taking kickoff returns uh we've got little clips of, of you know, highlights of him in practice beating Sanford Samuels one-on-one based on what the FSU uh, football account put out there so he's a guy who has turned some heads in camp and, and when you talk to coaches that's a guy whose name they just willingly bring up yeah. when you ask about the freshman. and your experience. Like, is that kind of a, to me, that seems indicative of like, that's a guy who's, well, you're not having to prompt them to talk about. Right. Him.
1: And you got to, this happens in college camp and also in NFL camp for sure. But you always kind of get these camp all-stars. Sure. They get talked about a lot. And then the season starts and it's like, Oh, back to regular scheduled programming and the guys that we expected to be on the field are on the field. So mm. we will see. I'll say this about uh, Helton though the the thing that I like.
0: I sure is not Nooney Murray. It's <laughs> yeah. not your Twitter,
1: based on your Twitter clips. Hey, that was my first day. <laughs>
0: you really rebounded. Still getting now. the hang of it.
1: Um, this whole reporting thing. <laughs> um, the thing I'll say about Keyshawn is he's done a good job of getting himself in like so many different scenarios.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, kickoff return, punt return, slot receiver. And he's just kind of all over. So you got to think like if he's. If he's giving himself all these multiple opportunities to get on the field, it's going to happen somewhere.
0: And, and yeah, I agree 100%. And, and kind of my thinking has always been in camp. And, finally, and usually around this time, you start getting into that, that between that second and third week when it's starting, the camp, starting to conclude, and you see special teams being implemented. When you see a freshman with that second unit or when you see a freshman starting to get in with the, even a – well, definitely the starting special teams. When you see him kind of integrating those first two units, that means – they're not planning to, to, to use a red shirt on him. Right. That changes somewhat with the red shirt rules this year, but when you see them starting to plan for that, that means he, at the least, has shown something in camp to where they really think they are going to use him that year. The extent of it, I think, like you kind of alluded to, Josh, we don't know, but he's putting himself in position to uh, do something.
1: Right, uh, and, and this is something, and I, I'm pretty sure Willie and these guys will do the same thing, but Jimbo Fisher told me early on about the skill position guys is, barring an injury we don't want to redshirt any of them we want to get them in and get them out and the reason for that is there's always more talent in Florida at the skill position so playing a Keyshawn Hilton as a freshman there's no really no reason to redshirt him. look at all the guys FSU's recruiting now look at all the guys are recruiting in 2020 there's no reason to clog up the depth chart just to ensure Keyshawn Hilton's here in 2023 or whatever. Yeah, the well, Jimbo
0: didn't redshirt, him, but he sure as hell didn't play some of those. Well, he the, didn't play him. The, but, at least the wide receivers. But, but if he fair would have, he would have redshirted
1: others. a lot of running backs and receivers and DBs, yeah, it's, a log it's jam. tough to recruit. Yeah, you're log jamming it up, and these guys can get in and get out, get in and get out.
0: Well, David Kelly was asked about uh, the redshirt rule by one of the reporters there this week, and so was Taggart. Everyone, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I, I think the athletic is doing something on it because that, that question was asked a few times by the new reporter. Um, And I had known from talking to people in the program beforehand that they were really intrigued by the rule and kind of how you can use it because as it applies, you have four games to use a guy and Mm -hmm. he still has his red shirt available to him. Uh, So you're not wasting that year. But how do you do it? There's a strategy. You can play him four games. It doesn't have to be four games in a row. You can play him in the opener and you can play him in the finale. You can play him in two random games in the middle. You can play him in a four-game stretch. Uh, So FSU wants to be kind of strategic in how they do so. Uh, Do they want to kind of slow roll someone and, and see how they develop? They want to just throw them into the fire right away, uh, especially in the early part of the season when it's a little earlier to see who you know, sink or swim kind of thing. Like, in a specific, excuse me, specifically with wide receiver, I think it's really interesting because as we're kind of getting this reinforcement of, of who's someone that can play, Helton's one. Uh, Treshawn Harrison seems to be another name that, that kind of keeps popping Warren up. Warren
1: Thompson's been popping.
0: Warren Thompson with his size. So there's like different roles you can see these guys in. Uh, it's just a matter of, I guess, how they want to utilize them, and they're kind of figuring that out, that out. Um, so, with that in mind, as we see kind of the, the same names starting to pop up as potential contributors this season, I'm interested to see what happens on Saturday after the scrimmage. You get the scrimmage right. on Saturday, and I think that, and Willie kind of alluded to it when he was on, he talked to Seminoles.com yesterday. Walt Bell talked about it the other day with the quarterback battle. Saturday kind of becomes a shakeout day where those guys right. play. Uh, and then they're done splitting equal rights. What does
1: Chris like to call it? Moving day?
0: Is it? There's, speaking of moving day, there's a guy with a package coming to
1: the door. It's just UPS, Brandon. Oh, um, okay. Don't worry so, about it. <laughs> so
0: I think it'll be interesting to kind of see where, where it shakes out after a scrimmage. Do you have any ideas, Josh? Uh, I'll give you the platform here, talk some hot takes. Quarterback battle. You got Frenchie? You're, I'm, you're on I'm, team Frenchie? I,
1: I flip my pick. If you guys watch my uh, – facebook lives a couple weeks ago I, I announced that i was you know i i held steadfast in james blackman all off season and then i flipped my pick a couple weeks ago and kind of the it's not a crystal ball <laughs> i know I, everything in my life is now a crystal ball. by the
0: way you know who's coming for you on the crystal ball rankings no. I'm, I'm moving over to josh really creepily right now on my <laughs> what's
1: this called again my zen pad yeah, your little your little meditation pad cross um, applesauce i'm so cute What were we talking about? (laughs) DeAndre François. Uh, Oh, DeAndre François. (laughs) So I flipped my pick because I went down to IMG for their media day um, three weeks ago now, maybe four weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the trainers that I know there told me that they had just worked out with Frenchie and they just went on and on about him. And to me, the biggest thing that I took away from it was his health. Like they were kind of blown away where he was health wise and they had said that they had some, some NFL guys coming down working with them this summer and they, they worked with Francois for three days and they said man his arm is on par with some of the QBs that we worked out with in the NFL mm-hmm. and their reasoning for that was like his his lower half is there yeah his, so his for th- me his
0: thighs are I don't know how to say this in a way that's like not weird sounding his thighs are <laughs> in great shape right yeah, now so
1: what you do Brendan you yeah. say that and then afterward you say no homo
0: this is not the big three rollout.
1: Uh, <laughs> I'm ear- just telling you how you can get away with that. Um, so, after listening to what they had to say, um, I changed my pick, and I had two main things coming out coming into the offseason with with DeAndre Francois. One, he needed to get back to healthy, and two, he needed to prove he was a leader and stay out of trouble. Um, he had the dust up with uh, some some off the field issues right when Willie Taggart arrived, but after that. You know, he was kind of a model
0: citizen. Uh, by all accounts, he moved back to campus. He was with his teammates. You he kind stopped of... hearing
1: about him missing rehab assignments yeah. and, and really taking that stuff seriously. And it
0: shows. And yeah. I think that's the part that's encouraging, right, is it, that you, you, there's proof to what he's it doing. It shows. There's and evidence. I trust
1: I trust those guys down at IMG because they know DeAndre Francois and have known him now, you know, since his junior year in high school. Yeah. Um, so what I heard from them really, uh, and just the way that they were saying it and the way that they were really happy for him as a, as a person, showed me that, you know, he came down there to work on his own, he's he's committed, and he wants to win the job. He doesn't just want it handed to him. So nothing in the short period of time that we've been out there, nothing that I've seen has convinced me that he won't be the starter.
0: Yeah, that's how I feel too after this week, and we talk about reinforcement. like. Mm-hmm. There was nothing that I saw and again it's such a limited window of watching them throw, but there's nothing out there that you're saying, oh, that he looks weird on the knee right. or he doesn't seem confident. You see him actually enjoying himself with teammates. Like there's some pretty cool things that are happening with DeAndre in terms of his maturity that, that is visible. And I said this on the last podcast, like sometimes we can overthink things. Like I, I think physically he's the most talented quarterback currently on the notice. No. Now maybe James Blackman, like long term with the <clears> arm, like becomes that, but I don't think he's there right now. This season, as it applies to Willie Taggart needing to win games, I think John Francois is probably the. I'm confident in saying I think he's your best bet. Yeah, and
1: I've talked to Willie a couple times this offseason about not about anyone in particular at the quarterback position, but I kind of felt like he kind of goes out of his way to tell me that he just needs somebody that's accurate and a leader. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and and recently I think it was in July, I was like, yeah, but what about if you had a guy that could run it too? And he's like, that'd be a that'd be a a help but I mean he's like I just need somebody that's accurate. I just want a leader. And I kind of I feel like he was putting on a little bit. Cuz there's no question. If you can have somebody that's accurate and a leader and then to have somebody that can also run the football and add that dynamic, you want that. He seems sensitive when he's been asked this like in the spring about the the running having a running threat mm-hmm. at a quarterback. Well, I think he knows because there's one running threat, and that's well, then, DeAndre. And uh, I think if he gives I, I, in to like, yeah, i like that, then that then that, that tips, then the tips the hand. So it's I more think so he
0: can't tip the hand towards
1: yeah, DeAndre, which um, I completely understand. Why not? It doesn't. There's no incentive for yeah. him to tip the hand. The competition is what he wants, and that's what's best for the team Especially too.
0: Especially when he's trying to get that quarterback to buy into right. to tightening things up. Uh, I do think, for the record, I think both Bailey Bailey can move better than, than oh they can, can both move, but. I don't want to give too much away because I'm working on a story, but, but let me just put it this way. like Someone who was instrumental in implementing the Gulf Coast offense, when when they had three quarterbacks there at USF and they were trying to decide who was going to run it, they went with Quentin Flowers.
1: Mm-hmm. Was it Sean White? Sean White, who's now at, in the NFL.
0: Yeah, and he was at Western Kentucky. They yeah. liked him. But for what they wanted in the offense, it was essential for them to have someone who could, I can't remember the phrase, but basically someone who could who take advantage of when yeah. things break down. Um, you wanted someone who could scramble and move around a little bit the highest upside there is DeAndre Francois again I think that
1: if okay. help and, and that was if a helped. big thing yeah. like we wondered if he would be healthy we've seen him there's he no looks, question he's he healthy okay. so and the, and Walt Bell did kind of pump the brakes on that he said he looks you know Walt Bell said oh man I think he's at hundred percent blah 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 went on and on and then kind of hedged his bet by saying but he hasn't taken a real life hit yet.
0: yeah and that is something that I think they want I'm interested to see on Saturday, well, he's had his quarterbacks live before, I believe. Uh, I could be mistaken. I think he's had them live before, like in the spring mm. at scrimmages. Um, I wonder if that's something that he's going to want to try to let that happen. We will see. That'll be interesting. All right. Uh, last part here, what the hell 2.5. Oh, cool. this, isn't a, this isn't a full what the hell podcast. How, how
1: good like, have those been? I haven't listened to any of them. Uh,
0: the first one with Chris was great. Yeah. The second one we had with Wayne, and we did it over Skype, and it's kind of clunky because, like, I interrupt people, but I was doing it more than usual because I couldn't tell when he was breaking in the action. Um, the first one, that we did it in, like, a, a slideshow form, and I got, like, 150,000 mm-hmm. <laughs> views. And the listing has got, like, 8,000 or so. Nice. Yeah, the numbers are good. You guys appreciated it. I think as long as we don't go, like, overboard with it and understand, like, this isn't every single day we're just bashing Jimbo. I, I
1: don't even know if I'm going to bash Jimbo.
0: You're just... I think... Why I've liked doing that and why we're gonna wrap it up here is as you look at what like Willie Taggart is, like you want to see what you did wrong before and what worked and what didn't work and how that applies to the new guy. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, like conversation you had with Jimbo Fisher back in what 2010?
1: Yeah it, it, um, <clears throat> today, Shannon Terry, the CEO of 24/7 sports tweeted that 24/7 sports is eight years old.
0: Oh, happy birthday, 24-7 Sports.
1: And I've been with the company for eight years. Right about now, I signed my contract.
0: Congratulations. And um,
1: it was eight days before... The the, the Knowles 24-7 website didn't launch until, I want to say it was like September 16th or something. Mm -hmm. So I was under contract and I was getting paid, but we didn't even have a website. That was the greatest thing ever. I
0: mean, just kind of sounds (laughs) like what you're doing now.
1: (laughs) So... uh, Um, I had somebody that works in the company that knew Jimbo Fisher from Auburn set up a meeting, um, where I was going to go up to Tallahassee from St. Pete and meet with Jimbo Fisher. In my mind, I didn't have nothing else to do. I thought it was going to be like literally maybe go up and shake Jimbo's hand Mm -hmm. and probably turn around and go home. But I was like, okay, I'm getting paid and I have nothing else to do. So yeah, let's go set it up. So eight days before Jimbo Fisher's first game ever coaching at Florida State, I go up there, and um, Jimbo was like in a meeting or something, and I had known Odell and and James Coley and Damian Craig and some of these guys for a long time. So, I went around Bob Lasavita and sat in everybody's office for a little bit and chopped it up with them for like ten minutes and then moved on to the next. And then, um, all of a sudden, Bob Lasavita comes up and says, "Hey Jimbo, Jim, you know Jimbo's ready." So I walk into Jimbo's office. Um, Still remember it. Still remember it vividly. Um, he had three chairs across from his desk, and James Coley was in the one to the far right. And I knew James, and I've known James for a long time, so we said, what's up? Jimbo seemed kind of surprised that we knew each other. And I sat down, and that was the last time Coley spoke. Um, Ever. He he had his face... He, was, he, was, he said he was scripting plays. Mm-hmm. Not exactly sure what that means, but he had his head... <laughs> And scripting
0: it, for, No, never mind. He had his head
1: in a notebook, <laughs> and he was just... I, long story short, I sat there for two hours, and James Coley had his head in the notebook for two straight hours sitting right next to me and didn't say a word the mm-hmm. entire time. Those
0: are the plays you want to run in, in practice and the order you want to run them in. And so he was idea, scripting plays and,
1: and doing some stuff, and Jimbo um, was excited that, that, that I was there, and, and he, he brought up the player, the roster, mm-hmm. and immediately started going down the entire roster just talking about what he had and in LaMarcus Joyner and Nick O'Leary and Bjorn Warner and he was projecting how these guys were going to be in two years or what they were going to be this season and he just he literally went down the entire roster and just previewed what what the team was about Um, and this goes to show you that the last images of Jimbo are so different than the first images of Jimbo because this was a man that was so dialed in here. I, let me go grab this book real quick.
0: Okay, and I'll keep talking while Josh is grabbing his book. Uh, I'm gonna just stutter my way so through Jimbo, the na- Oh, so thank God.
1: So Jimbo gave me this book. Um, he, he hired. Gave the,
0: he gave you the book. Yeah,
1: he gave me this book. So.
0: It's an One of the relation. things he
1: wanted to do, one of the changes that he wanted to implement when he got there, was hiring a dietitian.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he hired this dietitian. Who um, his father wrote this book called The Art of Profiling: Reading People Right the First Time. His name's Dan Coram.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: forget what his son's name was. Mm-hmm. Um, but the son also had background in psychology.
0: Decorum. <laughs> <laughs>
1: his his son also had a background in psychology. So Jimbo hired him mainly as the dietitian. But was what this he Trevor
0: Moad? Am I am I getting no. Trevor Moad? I'm sorry. All right, continue. This was
1: in 2010, so okay. it might have been somebody different. But this was really cool. So what Jimbo had the dietitian do, because he had a background in psychology, he went down the entire roster and did a psychological profile on every single player. Mm -hmm. Jimbo had a couple stacks of these. They were only, they were maybe like two or three sheets long and they were all stapled together. And I remember him handing me the Lamarcus Joyner one. And on that sheet it had the type of personality he has. The type of coaching that he responds to. The type of coaching that he doesn't respond to. Um, all this, a whole profile on every guy on how to reach him and communicate with them And when we talk about the last images we had of Jimbo, like, these are things that, like, were the furthest from happening. Mm-hmm. But when he arrived there, he had a the whole team, he had a, a, a personality profile done on each individual player. And they were implementing the dietitian. So, so we talk about culture change right now, but Jimbo Fisher was really changing the culture mm-hmm. from what was going on with Bobby Bowen to this time. So um, this is funny. So then at one point, an assistant, uh, a woman brings in a silver platter to Jimbo's desk, about two feet long silver platter, like a serving tray mm-hmm. with triangle watermelon cuts. <laughs> And for like the next hour, Jimbo's just eating triangle watermelon cuts off of this <laughs> silver platter. <laughs> He's like, yeah, they told me I need to eat these to lose weight. <laughs> so um, he was really organized. He had uh, he had headshots of everybody in the media because mm-hmm. he was about to have to face the media on a weekly basis. So he was trying to – he had headshots of everybody in the media. He was remem- remembering everybody's name. Um and then we got to a point, and this is probably like I'll wrap it up here, but we got to a point where we were just having a conversation, and Jimbo it it brought up Texas, mm-hmm. and in two thousand ten, if you remember what was going on at Texas, it was um, it was Mac Brown's kind of farewell tour, and he was about to get fired. And Jimbo kind of chuckled, and he said, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> you know this football thing it, isn't that hard." He goes you got you got a program like Texas. He goes, "Once you start winning, all you got to do is make the right hires. That thing will basically run itself." And Ugh. and I just the, the whole time during last season, I just remember that conversation we had about Mac Brown and about how all you got to do is make the right hires and it will this and the program will run itself. And it was like, "How did we get from 2010 from Jimbo almost laughing." at Mac Brown's mistakes, to Jimbo now making these same exact mistakes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, bringing in Bill Miller and, and, and Bill Brad Lawling and and promoting Charles Kelly instead of... You know, all, like, all these mistakes were basically exactly what he said would end your tenure if mm-hmm. you didn't do it the right way. So uh. that will always stick out in my mind from that meeting with Fisher. That and the uh, silver platter with Watermelon.
0: Kind of goes back to what we discussed earlier was... <laughs> I don't know. The ability to adapt or to be willing to change. Right. Um, and what Jimbo did early, like, I think that's good validation that, like, what happened in 2013 wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't just a Jameis Winston-fueled, like, ride to, to the top. Mm-hmm. No. That helps. You yeah. need uh, a guy, because of the offense Jimbo ran, someone capable of, of running it at, with that level of mastery. But the organization that he had, the energy
1: had. And just that he the, had, like, he had me sit in, like a year ago at this time. Mm-hmm. A year ago at this time, Jimbo Fisher was just on the brink of starting that war with the media for no reason. I I remember I've talked about this a little bit
0: before about uh, it was in July, and I went to uh, down to Ocala for for uh, it was a final booster store stop mm-hmm. booster tour stop and I went in and he was and I was got there early because you know me I'm OCD and always we're more just afraid that I'm going to be late or something like that. And I was there early. I was the first one there. I was one of the only two. The only other reporter was a guy from Ocala who ended up being late. Right. But um, Jimbo walks in the room with his handler, and uh, he looks in, and he like lit up because the second he saw someone that he knew and that like he had a decent relationship with, then he was happy. And then like without like within that second of saying, "Hey, what are you doing here?" It just it shifted to where then all of a sudden he was grumpy. He pulled up his phone. Started going on Twitter, which he says he doesn't have. He has one. And he's just going on, and he's complaining about the amount of you know, stories. He doesn't like this story. He doesn't like that story. He didn't like one of the stories that we wrote, in which I put out his five best running backs of the Jimbo Fisher era. He's like, how do you, how do you guys know? And he's like, oh, yeah, Chris Thompson was pretty good. That's a good spot for him. But just his initial – like,
1: they're, Right, control what you can – What happened to all his motto uh, control uh, um, what you can control and arc. block out the noise. And it's like here we are – you're about to face Alabama, and for some reason, you're starting a, a war, war with, with the media. media. Like, yeah. like, but for why? no,
0: for no, it, right? It,
1: and where it came, it was something that was, and I don't, and I don't know. It won't now. Now, rewind to when I was, I was there eight days before his first game, eight days, and he gave me two hours in yeah. his office, like. Where how did how did we how did we get here? And I, and I think the the moral of the story is if you're nice to the
0: media, you're going to win football games, right? Is that is that what we're getting? Uh, well, uh, but there I is like something it. about endearing yourself to the people, just like to human beings. I just think, man, uh, I
1: think those jobs are so stressful. I yeah. think those jobs are so demanding and so stressful that they change people.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It's, and I think uh, that's what happened. Success I mean, changes a person too. Yeah, obviously he had you know, things in his life that that change you profoundly mm-hmm. too. Um, it's a reminder that someone that you know one day isn't the same person you know 10 years from now whether it's your significant other or friend like sure. we all change and evolve so we got really philosophical here in the zen room well, that's and it. that's uh, what we do brendan and that that was a, a really good story uh i think that was worth us going 10 minutes over our allotted time because that was probably the best thing that we've done on the podcast today or maybe ever <laughs> it's not that good of a podcast
1: uh according to our message board it's oh a, my
0: god did i sound like i want to be here comparatively yes where yeah. we normally are yes much more so than usual i appreciate it now i think we're gonna go because someone's just we got construction.
1: construction going on out here i mean so. it's
0: not there's someone slamming no, like they're, a they're sledgehammer building a museum right over there. people can't tell where you're pointing josh with the knolls 24 7 podcast this is Brendan snow and josh thanks for joining me we'll talk to you guys sometime uh next week after media day all right so uh, take it easy and uh we'll be back on the air soon